As you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into this land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness." After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know the breach, rather, my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. The men, which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search out the land, Live still. We consider in this next segment of the text that is before us poetic justice. The Lord, who brings judgment upon his people, does not do it merely in some brute manner but rather with intelligence, with wisdom, shall we even say with art. He will carry out his judgment upon these who have rejected him and put a a slander upon the land. Ye shall know my breach of promise. Let us consider this text verses 25 to 38 under four points. First, he begins to execute the sentence. He begins to execute the sentence. Verse 25, tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So close, and yet so far. They could literally throw a stone and see the little puff of dust coming from the ground. That is the land that Jehovah swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so to us. 
but we're going to turn around. You're not going in. You despised this land, and so you have despised me by bringing up a slander upon the land. And so God here in this passage begins to execute his sentence that he has declared to Moses, to Aaron, and so to the congregation. Because all those men which have seen my glory, verse 22, and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. That was the verdict. That was the sentence that we've already considered. Now God begins to execute it. He orders them to turn back to begin the long, vain, aimless march through the desert upon which they had just been journeying. How very painful this must have been. But it was not because of the Lord. No, it was because of them. So close and yet so far. That was day one of the next 40 years. Day one of the sentence. And that day, no doubt, would have been etched in their minds as they can still remember the very place where they turned around, back into the desert. He slays the slanderers. Now, he schedules, doesn't he, the entire adult generation from 20 years old and upward. He schedules their death. They'll drop one by one over the years in a senseless meandering through this barren desert He allows them to live. But there are ten that must immediately be executed. Verse 36. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation murmur against him by bringing up a slander, these men died by a plague of the Lord. They didn't get to enjoy 40 more years or 40 more months or 40 days or 40 minutes. There is a summary execution of these who raised a slander and struck the match and threw it into the the powder keg of the congregation's corruption. It's a very strong language, isn't it? 
They made all the congregation to murmur. Now make no mistake, the congregation had complete responsibility to resist such temptations. But woe, woe unto them through whom offenses come. It were better for them that they had not even been born. Beware of setting a stumbling block before others. Beware of throwing your match into the powder keg of others. Beware of a bad example of murmuring, of complaining, of charging God falsely, maybe not even openly, but by suggestion and implication. That sour attitude, that that, that carnal uh, anger that flares up and rages, the disordered uh, feelings come out in the words and the words spread like a fire. Beware. These men had a great privilege. They were uniquely appointed to spy out the land. They were heads of the tribes. The more gifts and graces and ability, the the greater your position and sphere of influence, the more dangerous and destructive your bad example. Beware. God does not take lightly to those who, like Jeroboam, made all Israel to sin. but it was just 30 minutes. I mean, I lost myself for 30 minutes. And I said things that I should have never said for 30 minutes. But the weight of those 30 minutes is much heavier than you assume. Boys and girls, you go to a body of water and you you throw a little rock. It makes a little splash. But what happens when you... When you use all your muscles and roll up a large rock and you finally get it off your chest and it makes a large splash. Well, dear friends, the more gifts and abilities, the higher our position, the more dangerous our sins, the more impactful. Beware. Beware. He begins to execute the sentence, but he secures the holy seed. God always sets a seal upon his righteous servants before he executes judgment. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. So first, as we look at this this moment of of fearful poetic justice when God makes known to this 
a generation his breach of promise, he begins to execute the sentence, number one. Number two, he repeats, elaborates, and justifies his sentence. He repeats, elaborates, and justifies his sentence. In verse 27, he turns back to Moses and Aaron and pleads with them. Not against them, they weren't in sin. But as one friend unburdens his heart to another about the grievances that he has experienced, to receive some kind of solace out of sympathy that I have been wronged. So the Lord, he condescends to Moses, his friend. What an amazing thing. Does God count you as a, as a friend? If you're a Christian, you are called a friend. The Lord Jesus said, I call you not servants, but I call you friends. But let's be honest, not all of the Lord's friends are true friends. Not all of the Lord's friends are friends, as it were, with whom he can come and have intimate dealings and confide because they are so close to God and so sympathetic to him. How very few are worthy of the name of friends among the people of God. How long shall I bear, Moses, with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. The Lord explains how burdened he has been. We have also in verse 11 earlier, you'll perhaps recall a similar complaint. The Lord said unto Moses, how long shall this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs that I have showed among them? The Lord through Amos speaks of the burdensomeness of the sin of his people. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. I'm weighed down. I'm oppressed by your unbelief, by your low thoughts of me, by your doubting me and you're charging me with wrong as though uh, as though I was not intelligent enough to foresee the troubles that you are experiencing as though I am not good enough to to step in and to intervene as though I am not powerful enough to come under your burdens And yet I place these things upon you and you collapse and then you point the finger at me. His yoke is so easy. His burden is so light. 
but sinners. They take that easy yoke and they cast it aside and they say it is so heavy. It is inhumane. It is so heavy. Thomas Boston said, However lightly your sins may sit on your spirits, they are a burden to the Holy Spirit of God. And Jehovah in the flesh, was he not burdened with the unbelief of his own generation? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And notice that this was said just after he learned that the disciples could not cast out demons. Why? Because of their unbelief. Does Jesus have a complaint against you? In the fog of all your complaints, can you discern the true and valid complaint of Jesus? I have something against you. I have not been untrue to you. I have not been unkind. And you are misrepresenting my providences towards you. I am not a cruel, harsh taskmaster. And yet you fight me. And you resist me. I am so willing. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And yet you will not. Will you not relieve the Lord's burden today? Will you not relieve his burden by unloading your guilt by confession? Will you, may I say it reverently, will you not relieve Jesus of the intolerable burden of your unbelief and your doubt and your false conceptions of him and your living a life before others which suggests to them that you really don't believe the Christ you follow. Because if you did, you'd be right in line behind Caleb. The Lord repeats, elaborates, and justifies his sentence. He explains he is going to make the punishment fit the crime. He is going to tailor the punishment of their murmurings from the murmurings themselves. Listen to verse 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. I've been listening. Have you been listening to yourself? Did they fear that they would die in the wilderness? Did they even say, 
Would to God that we had died. It'd be better for us to have died in the wilderness. Well, so they shall die. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Did they impute cruelty to God? As though God was the enemy of the fruit of their womb? What about our children? What about our children? Are they they come out here to, to die a miserable, shameful death? vile it is to suggest that God is cruel. As though God could not protect the seed of promise, as though God would not provide for the seed of promise, therefore, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, Them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Fitting. You were so worried about them? I'll make sure they get there. You just won't accompany them. The judge of all the earth will do right. He will not make the children pay for the sins of the parents. This is not an uncommon false imputation against the Lord because he does visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. So Ezekiel, he says, What mean ye that use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Behold, all souls are mine, As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, he shall die. The judge of all the earth will do right. He knows how to discriminate. And yet, he will make the children bear the reproach of the parents. These are a twin truths that are not easy for us fully to reconcile, but they are perfectly biblical and perfectly consistent with each other. They will enter in, but they also will have to follow mom and dad through the desert in a pointless purposeless meandering simply so that time can tick long enough for them to die. Are we there yet? No. I've got to die first. Well, why do you have to die, Dad? Because I didn't believe God. And now you have to suffer because of my unbelief and disobedience 
And so we have it. In verse 32, as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness and your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and listen, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. So the Lord, through those 40 years, will be teaching Israel. He will make them to know his breach of promise. Before we turn to our third and fourth points, both briefer, some admonitions. Keep in mind, God is not mocked. What you sow, you will surely reap. And watch your mouth. Every idle word, says Jesus, that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Words seem so small and so so insignificant. But these words that came from the mouths of those ten spies and set in motion this tsunami of murmuring and complaining resulted in 40 years of shameful suffering, pointless wanderings, and finally death itself. Watch By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Better to use your mouth, friend, for confession than for complaint. For gratitude than groaning. For petition rather than for provocation. And would you have some medicine to clean your mouth? Would you have some, may I say it reverently, some sacred mouthwash to cleanse the filth of your mouth? Learn this prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. A word also for children. Children, do not learn from the sins of your parents. Do not learn from the sins of your parents. And if your parents are ungodly, do not follow them in their ungodliness. Learn from them by the burdens you bear on their account. Even if you have godly parents, distinguish between the things that differ. Cover over the nakedness of Noah, but don't repeat it.
You see, you hear your parents. Be careful. Learn from their good example. Learn from their good instructions. But do not imitate that which you recognize is not in conformity with God's word. If you love them, do this and pray for them. And then when you grow up, be aware that your children are also going to have to distinguish between the things that differ. And if you have a godly parent, don't treat them as one who is a a prodigal. Yes, they have weaknesses. Yes, they have failures. But they do want to please God. And you know it. So don't treat them as though they're in the category of the ten spies. View them as Caleb and Joshua, notwithstanding their imperfections. But, but if you do not have believing, if in fact you have ungodly parents, love them, respect them according to their place and calling, but follow Jesus. And parents, would you truly love your children? care for your children? Do you work so hard? Do you not invest so much time and effort pouring yourself into them? Would you give them rest in the end? Would you have them happy and holy Christians? And finally, entering into the promised land of glory. Then lead them in faith. And a faith that can be seen and touched. A faith that shakes off cowardice and is courageous for the Lord. Only be strong and very courageous. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll take care of everything that you're worried about. And he has subscribed his name. He is underwritten and vouchsafed for your children. So trust in him and lead them, lead them home. And don't get in the way. Don't get in the way of their path to Jesus. Third, The Lord guarantees the sentence, swearing in his wrath. It's very striking. Verse 28, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord. As ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. God swears in his wrath. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this congregation. God will express how decided he is that he will not allow that generation to enter in. 
he will not allow these unholy people to defile his holy land. He is so kind, he is so patient, he is so slow to wrath, but he will draw the line when it comes to his glory. And so, in case anyone doubts, he swears. He swears by himself, by his own life. And so we have it in Psalm 95. Harden not your hearts is in the provocation, is in the day of the temptation. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Fourth and last, he avenges his breach of promise, and yet he keeps his plan. He keeps his promise. He keeps his oath. All of this, from one vantage point, seems like one great monkey wrench thrown into the machinery of God's decree. It always seems like that. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The Lord keeps his promise to Father Abraham. How is he going to do that if he just destroys them? If he doesn't bring them into the land? Well, he purges the chaff and keeps the wheat. And in keeping the wheat, he keeps his promise. Your seed shall possess this land. Now, what if some do not believe? Well, Paul answers that question. Shall the unbelief of God make the faith of God, that is the the trust, the promise of God without effect, Can unbelievers among the people of God cancel the trustworthiness of God? Absolutely not. Those who perish in their unbelief, they are not the seed. But they are the seed. But they're not the seed. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? What advantage then has the Jew? What, What benefit of circumcision much every way? But he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but one that is one inwardly. It is a yes, it is a no. It is an affirmation, it is a denial. And the Lord knows how to thread the needle so that he destroys his enemies, but he keeps his word to the seed. And if you have true faith, then you are truly the seed of Abraham, and he will never, ever, ever 
fail you. But if you're just along for the ride, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Friends, as we begin to journey with this rebellious congregation back into the desert, as we leave Kadesh, having come so close and yet so far, let us learn that the God of Kadesh is the God who swears in his wrath. Although although Caleb and Joshua have to wait 40 more years, they got to see it. They got to go in. They got to touch it. And God's not going to fail the true seed of Abraham who genuinely believe and who defy the world. But he also is a God who swears in his wrath. The God of Kadesh holds forth to us the prospect of a better country for the next generation. And so today, there is a rest that remains because that land we know from the Bible and especially the epistle to the Hebrews, we are told that the land of Canaan typified the heavenly country. And there is a rest that remains. But this opportunity This opportunity can be lost today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Doubt him, test him, weary him at your peril. He is so good. He is so willing. He presents to you His infinite blessedness in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rest. But the open gospel door will soon be shut. That was a narrow window at Kadesh. And so the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, is a narrow window of opportunity. Thomas Manson said that the day of grace is bright but short. Today, not tomorrow. My dear unconverted friend, do not put off to tomorrow what you can. Nay, you must do today. You have no guarantees of tomorrow. None whatsoever. And God is being so good. He is being so kind. He is offering it freely. And he is also letting you hear his word of wrath. 
so that you don't have to partake of it. Repent. Believe the gospel. Set your eyes on Jesus Christ. Forget everything else in this world and the pleasures of sin for a season. Look to that country. Look to Jesus. Have no rest until you get there. And surely all those who commit themselves to him shall be brought and carried at last. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please rise.